Hello, hello, this is Gravel Talk Calling. Welcome to this wonderfully exciting podcast about a very, very special group of people. Lovely people, exciting people, crazy people, people who like to ride on motorcycles, even though there exist cars and buses and even horses. So, Gravel Talk is completely dedicated and devoted to those who like to spend hours on an uncomfortable motorcycle seat, eat canned food, and sleep on muddy grounds in a tent on an air mattress in the midst of severe thunderstorms. This species, to which I also belong with greatest pride, has deserved a podcast which portrays motorcyclists from around the globe. Just listen to them and dive into the magic of their stories. Our gravel talker today is Tracy Charles from Canada. Good morning. Good morning. Tracy is currently traveling the world on a BMW F700GS. Actually, for the past year she has been literally locked up in Colombia due to the pandemic. But Tracy takes this experience and many, many others with grace and true championship. In this episode of Gravel Talk, you will learn when and why Tracy decided to quit her ordinary Canadian life and hit the road. Also, Tracy shares a lot of interesting, funny and also a bit scary stories she has experienced on the tour so far. So, come on inside and meet Gravel Talker. Tracy Charles. Tracy, Tracy. Good morning. <laughs> Wonderful. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> nice to meet nice you. To Thank you. you. I'm, I'm doing hey, fine. No problem. Thank you. It's cold here. Wow. It's warm there, it's I suppose, there. right? It's warm. It's actually a bit cool this morning. I'm I'm back up in the mountains. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. yeah, so I've had to put on my coat this morning, but the sun's on its way and It'll be warm again. So you are so in, in, in Colombia right now, South America, taking a tour. Yes. So I had to leave the bike here when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in lockdown for six weeks. I couldn't even leave the farm I was at as a foreigner. But then I went back uh, to Canada in May and, you know, spent months there, the nice weather riding, and then came back the beginning of December mm-hmm. to my bike in Colombia. And at least in Colombia, I can ride around. Uh-huh. Right now, I'm not stuck in a house in lockdown. Ecuador and Colombia both closed their borders again. They were supposed to open March 1st, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes through till Easter. Mm-hmm. But like I said, yeah, I can ride around here. Colombia is huge. I've got beaches. I've got mountains. I've got the Amazon. I've got volcanoes. Um, you name it. I can go see and ride around everywhere. It's It's been good. As long as I can get my visa renewed and everything else when the time comes. Tracy, when did this idea to travel the world on a motorcycle develop? Uh, ten years ago, actually. My husband died of brain cancer. And it totally changed my life in more ways than one. Um, you know, I started doing stuff I'd never done before. Uh, got my dive license. My girlfriend suggested her motorcycle license. I was like, okay. And then... 
I don't know. I, I really sucked at riding a motorbike. I bought the wrong motorbike. Um, I was always dropping it. But I thought I was good enough to do his off-road course through Peru. So I did that, or not a course, but a, a tour. So I did that, fell in love with the GS bike, the adventure riding, went back home, traded in my bike, and started taking off-road courses. Um, and then just, you know, YouTube, social media, you're seeing these people riding around the world. I was like, that would be really cool. Um, and then I really started considering it because uh, retirement was five years away. And then there was a big shakeup at my company and they offered me a really shitty job or full pay to an early retirement just to get me out the door. And it was a no brainer for me. It was like, I'll take that full pay and I'm leaving. Talk to my daughter who was in university uh, and she was on board with me selling everything, the house, the car, my clothes. So I don't own anything other than my bike and what's on my bike. So once the borders open again, where are you heading to next? When Ecuador opens, I'm going to cross in Ecuador and I'll do Bolivia, Peru, um, Chile, Argentina, back up into Brazil, Uruguay. And then I think once I hit Uruguay, I'll probably ship the bike over to Africa and, and start there. Um, then it's an easy access into Europe. I want to do all the stands. I want to do Russia. Um, everywhere. Switzerland. Everywhere. You have to visit us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Europe, Switzerland, Norway, oh, every, everything, everything. Um, yeah. I just want to do everywhere. You're on the road all by yourself, right? You're doing it alone. Yes. Yeah. How is that? Yeah. It's, uh, it's surprisingly, uh, amazing. So I met up with a, a female couple in Guatemala and I rode around with them for quite a while, but Whenever we stopped, nobody approached us. Um, but when I'm by myself, I don't know, especially I think it's a an older woman alone on a motorbike, everybody approaches me and everybody is super kind. They want to know your story. I think another part of it is that um, their countries, like especially Central America, their countries have such a bad reputation that they are honored that you've chosen their country to ride solo through. and. They're sharing stories with you. They're giving you food. They're offering you places to stay. Um, so being alone, I have much more, many more of the local people approach me. Um, if I'm with someone else riding, not so much. It's, I guess they just figure you're, you're together, but being alone has been great. Uh, I never get lonely. There's always somebody around to talk to, right? <laughs> Uh, but it's just been good. I have no complaints of how I've been treated. I was a little worried when I came back to Colombia uh, due to COVID. But the, the Colombian people are just as wonderful as pre-COVID. It, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. When you are on the road, do you usually uh, sleep in a tent or do you prefer a motel? or How, how do you do that? Um... I've got all my camping gear with me too, so I'm never really super worried. But uh, I, uh, hostels are really cheap here in Central and South America, so I do I do get a lot of hostels. I love to camp. Um, I never book ahead for something because I did that a couple of times and I never made it because I'd find something else to do or somewhere else to go, mm -hmm. and I'd never make it. So it's really easy. Whenever I get to some place, I think I'm going to stay the night, or I really like it. I just start Googling hostels near me and they just 
they're there and there's always a room available, especially now because mm. nobody's traveling. What does a, a typical travel day look like? I mean, I, I noticed from your, your emails, you get up very early. I get up very early. Yes. Uh, but I also go to bed really early. I, I don't usually go into town after dark. So I'm sleeping by eight, nine. And if you've been riding all day, you're exhausted anyway, especially in the heat. It just knocks a shiver out of you. But uh, so I'm up really early. I like to linger over my coffee and my breakfast, social media, the news, whatever else. Um, get the bike packed. Sometimes I have like a eight hour day. Sometimes my day is only four hours. That being said, it could take me four hours to get 100 kilometers away because the roads here are a little bit, not a little bit, but some of them are really rough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some of them are really good, but because they're so twisty and you're in the mountains, you're out of the mountains, you've got lots of transport truck traffic in the mountains. Uh, it, it takes you, it can take you a long time to get that 100 kilometers. And then when I find a place I want to stay, I do just what I, I said to you. I, I Google for somewhere to stay Or I've met somebody who's invited me to their 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 cabins or their their home to set up my tent. When I right now I'm in San Augustine, uh, Colombia. When I arrived here, I went to find the hostel that I was had kind of picked. So I pulled over on the side of the road, and this man randomly approached me on a, a motorbike, saying that he owns these cabins. Uh, this is how much they're going to be. Um, you can stay for as long as you want. I was like, okay, well, let's, I'll follow you and we'll we'll figure it out. And so here I am. Tell me about the tour so far. Now, I, I know that COVID got you stuck in Colombia right now, but when did you start and which countries did you pass through? So I left home September 2019, had a bunch of friends meet me at the American border. We had some coffee and took some photos and it was a really nice way to say goodbye. And I rode pretty quickly through the States because our Canadian dollar It's terrible, and it wasn't conducive to me spending much time there. And the big border I crossed into is Mexico, and that's where I went from being scared to being happy to being scared to being happy. All your well-meaning friends, you know, are telling you like, "Be careful," and they're they're well-meaning, but all the stories they tell you, they stick at the back of your head, and then they come forward at the most inconvenient times, like when you're going down this this crazy little tiny road and there's nobody around all of a sudden you think of the story that somebody's told you and you're like ah now I'm scared again most times the scenery wins out for me I, I get looking around and I just this is beautiful I'm riding through Mexico amazing so Mexico I spent almost eight weeks there the next country was Belize I didn't spend much time there I'd, I'd been to Belize before not riding a motorbike but it just I just kind of rode through it in a few days Then there was Guatemala, which was beautiful. I ran into a female couple and I consider them my road babies now. They, um, they're from Germany and, and England. And we hung out together for a long time in Guatemala. We did a lot of riding together. And then we went our separate ways. And after that, I think it was Honduras. Oh, it was El Salvador, then Honduras, sorry. And I had to go through Honduras pretty quickly because I'd made arrangements to meet my daughter there for Christmas and New Year's. So I didn't spend a lot of time in Honduras. I took some Spanish lessons there, finally. <laughs> um, and then it was Nicaragua. And I injured myself in Nicaragua. I wiped the bike out in some red mud in the rain. And I sprained my wrist. So I took some downtime. Happened to run into uh, Sandra and Fiona, my road babies. 
in Leon, Nicaragua. So we spent a good couple of weeks together there. She had sprained her ankle riding through some volcanic ash. So we commiserated together and recuperated and, and spent some time. And then Nicaragua, I had to figure out how I was going to get the bike past the Darien Gap or through the Darien Gap. And I definitely was not riding it, you know, the most dangerous spot in the world. So I had made arrangements to put the bike on a sailboat with wildcard sailing and sail it from Panama City to Cartagena, Colombia. So after Christmas, uh, it was a mad dash after Nicaragua. Sorry, it was a mad dash to um, through Costa Rica and through Panama because now I had to do all this extra paperwork, check the bike out of Panama, get it ready to get on the boat. Um, I had to repack everything uh coat the bike with WD-40 so the salt water wouldn't wouldn't affect it. So Costa Rica and Panama, I didn't spend a lot of time time going through. And it was okay with me because it's so humid there. And, and I can't, <laughs> with all the bike you're on, it's, it's a tough day to be sweating nonstop and you're stuck in traffic or construction. And so then after Panama, got on the sailboat, beautiful five days sailing through the San Blas Islands. Uh, I think out of 20 of us on the sailboat, it was really rough the first couple of days. So out of 20 of us, there was only four of us that weren't seasick. It was, I felt really bad for these. I call them kids because they're all younger than me, but they were, they were pretty, pretty sick. We got to Cartagena and I spent a few days there and just started slowly zigzagging all over Colombia. I knew that there was a virus that had started in China. When you're on the road traveling, you don't pay much attention to the news. I think if you did, you'd never leave your house. I, I looked at it, didn't really pay too much attention to it. And you'd start seeing people with boxes of masks on the corners of the road selling masks. And I still, still didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And then, of course, we're almost a year to when the whole world shut down. I think it was Steel Horse of Columbia in a small town called Philandia had put a post out on Facebook saying, do you know, we're open for business. They've been closed for renovations. We're open for business for travels, stranded travelers right now. If you need someplace to stay, come, come on down. So I was four hours away, sent them a message saying I'm coming. And then I got to the border of the town and all hell broke loose. Uh, there was a roadblock, there was military, there was police, there were nurses, one doctor, and they refused me entry. I actually did a short live thing because I couldn't, any Spanish I'd learned had just left my head. It was, they were shouting in my face, the one nurse. Um, I had no clue what was going on. Like honestly, did not realize that at that day, the world had shut down because you don't listen to anything. I decided to put my sleeping, after four hours, I decided to park my bike at the roadblock, throw down my sleeping bag, and that's where I was gonna spend the night. I just. Figured I'd be safe. You know, I got the military there. What could go wrong? I had a couple of warm beers in my bag and some snacks. I drank the two warm beers, crawled in my sleeping bag. And just as I was falling asleep, they came over and woke me up. And uh, so I'm really glad I didn't set up my tent because it took me just a few minutes to throw my sleeping bag in my back of my bag, put my gear on. And I kept saying to them, like, steel horse, steel horse. They're like, yep, yep. So this cop and his girlfriend nurse get on their little motorbike and and follow me. They said, off we go. 
I'm like, this is not right. Steel Horse is supposed to be really, really close to where I just was. It turned out that they had escorted me through to the other end of town in the dark with a couple of warm beers under my belt, which I never do. Two things. Never drink when I ride, not even one beer. And I never ride in the dark. It terrifies me. So then they left and just left me there. And I'm like, uh, I can't I can't ride in the dark. I don't know where I'm going if everything is closed down. So I punched the hostel into my GPS and I did a U-turn. Uh, actually blew through a construction part in the dark and had the yellow construction tape stuck to the front of the bike. And I, I couldn't find this dark road that led to the hostel. And, and since then, I've heard that a lot of people that book this hostel, when they find out about the road going in, they, they cancel. Because it's, it's in hindsight, it's not as bad now. But um, so anyway, the, the owner just happened to call me and I said, I can't find this road. She goes, it's a little tiny road. It's pitch black and it's cut right into the middle of the mountain. Um, oh, oh, my God, I, I can't find it. And then poof, there it was. I don't know how I saw it, but it was two kilometers. And I think I was crying by this time in my helmet because I was scared. It was in the dark. I'd had two beers. And it's a steep, twisty, broken up road for two kilometers. And the owner, Yvette, she stayed on the phone with me the entire time. And I can't tell you how I felt, what relief I felt to see the lights of the hostel. Like, honestly, I, I cried so much trying to get down that road. And but then when we got the bike inside, I realized the seriousness of it because now we had to hide my bike because they didn't want me there. They had escorted me out. So we hid my bike and uh, had some wine, relaxed, went to sleep. And then the next morning, uh, next day, another traveler from the UK showed up. He had no problem getting through the roadblock. I don't know what he said, but they liked him better than me. And I think they also had 24 hours to digest what had just happened. You know, the world closing down. Later in that day, a couple of more travelers were responding to the owner's um, offer for stranded travelers, and they were turned away. And at this point in time, the minister of tourism, she had gotten wind that we were at the hostel. She called the owner and she was screaming. It was quite a long conversation with the owner and the minister of tourism. She threatened Yvette with fines, which... The other traveler and I, Darren, we said we would split with you because it just it was crazy. She was going to send police out. They were sending the tourism police. That's what they called it. They were sending doctors out to give us covid tests that we you know we might be kicked out of there. And it, so for a couple of days, we were in a mass panic. We were walking on eggshells. We we're every time a car went by the farm, we we're all like tense. And nobody in six weeks ever came out. <laughs> no one. And. But Yvette had to take down her posts on social media, um, her offer to help travelers. She had to take down a sign that said Steel Horse of Columbia on the farm. And she had to close for business. So basically, I guess we were kind of given the okay to stay there. Um, towards the end of the six weeks that I was in lockdown there, the mayor's nurse came out to see everybody's passports that was staying on the farm. And there was no, there was no issue. And I was really fortunate because I was stuck. I say stuck, but I was on a farm that was five acres nestled in the, the Andes mountains. Absolutely beautiful. But after six weeks, um, 
we weren't allowed as foreigners to leave the farm. Yvette was allowed to go in once a week. So I went from being completely independent to here's my credit card. There's my pin number. Take me out as much cash as you can because I'm going to have to pay you. Here's my grocery list. Here's my personal list. Here's my booze list. And poor Yvette, uh, once a week, she would spend hours in town uh, getting her supplies, my supplies, uh, and Darren's supplies and bringing them back to the farm. And it just, yeah, we just kind of started getting bored towards the end of six weeks. And then Canada announced their last repatriation flight. And I thought, I'm going to try to get on this. And I'm glad I did because it was the last flight from Columbia. They had no more. So I booked it. And I think after I booked it, I started to cry because I felt like I failed on my journey. Uh, There were so many travelers out there that were going to stick it out. And yeah, I cried a lot. I I defeated maybe is a word I want to use. Uh, Failed, defeated. Anyway, in hindsight, I made an amazing decision to go back to Canada. When I got back to Canada, I did my two weeks quarantine and suddenly I'm allowed to go shop for myself. I can visit friends and family. I can travel within my, my province, within my country a bit. And in Colombia, that wasn't allowed, I think, until September. And I spent the summer camping and just motor traveling through some of the provinces that were open to me in Canada. And then in November, everything started getting cold. It started snowing. We did a little bit of motor camping, but then I had to put the bike into, into storage. And that's when I started getting really bored. I was in my daughter's apartment. There's no outdoor space except for a small, like, well, actually quite a big deck, but yeah. So my mind started going back to, I got to, I got to go back to, to Columbia. I've got to get back there. But I also had some financial things in Canada that I was trying to wrap up. So I would be self-sufficient on the road. And all of a sudden, everything came together the first week of December. I think on December 2nd, I booked a flight back to Bogota in Colombia, let them know I was coming for my bike. And boom, I was I was here. I was I was back here. And even though in Bogota, the city of Bogota, everybody wears masks. Actually, you see it a lot in Colombia, people wearing masks outside all the time, which is fine. This is I'll do whatever you want me to do. There was no. There was no quarantine. I had to have a COVID test and fill out some forms online before I came here, but laid low for a couple of weeks, just making sure that I wasn't sick. I didn't pick something up on the plane, but it was nice to be able to get on my bike and just go again. Uh, And the people here were just as friendly as they were pre-COVID. That was a huge concern of mine that they would be suspicious of foreigners because when COVID first hit here, you heard so many stories from different travelers that they were being treated poorly or unfairly by the locals because they were suspicious of foreigners. Every country said, no, it's a foreigner coming into our country that's brought this virus. And I had no issues. They they were super kind, so happy to see me, helpful, uh, incredible. It was just incredible to be back. And now, um, my, I've just renewed my permit for my bike, which is good until May 25th. Myself, I'm good here until June 6th, I think it is. 
but I was told this is the last time I can renew my bike permit. So uh, come May 25th, I have to have my bike out of the country. And I'm not panicking yet because I still have a couple of months to figure something out. I'm hoping to find a transport truck company that will take it across the border into Ecuador while I fly in. Or maybe I could find an airline that will fly my bike with me in. There's a couple of things I can look at. But again, I'm not going to panic yet because I have a couple of months to figure this out. What are some of the uh, craziest experiences you've had so far on the road? I mean, you already mentioned some. Maybe there's one or two uh, that come to your mind. Oh, there's, yeah, there's definitely been a couple <laughs> that I, I don't think I've even told anybody. So you're going to be the first one to find out. I was in, uh, I want to say, Nicaragua. And I was leaving, leaving my hostel and, you know, Google Maps. And Google Maps is, it's a hit and miss. And it told me to turn up this really narrow, narrow little street. And in Central America, the streets go straight up or they go straight down. It, it, they're insane. So, but there was people walking. So I just laid on the horn and I gun, you know, twisted the throttle. I get to the top and it's a dead end. And I put both my brakes on and my bike is sliding. And now I'm stuck. So I just, I just tipped the bike over. It got stuck between the house and the wall. And the whole town came out to look at me and a bunch of guys got my bike and they got it back down. But it was Google Maps telling me to take this street and it wasn't a street. It was actually a sidewalk I'd ridden up on. <laughs> and yeah, so it was quite an experience. Another time um, I'd, I'd sprained my wrist in Honduras. I dropped the bike in some red mud and I sprained, sprained my wrist. So I decided to turn around because it was still a long way up the mountain in this red mud and the rain. And I was riding down. I come around a curve and there's a big dump truck sitting there blocking the road. So I hit my brakes and I went down again. It's pouring rain. So the guy that owns the dump truck helps me pick up my bike. And we're just standing there waiting for someone else to come and help us because the bike kept sliding down the road in this mud. And these two kids, I'd, I call them kids now, but I'd say they were maybe in their early 20s. They come down in a pickup truck and the one guy's dressed in really nice uh, work, work attire, but he's offered to get my motorbike around this dump truck through the mud for me. And I'm like, my, my wrist is hurting. I'm okay, go for it. You know, if you think you can do it. And then he gets around the truck. I get in the pickup truck. We get around the, the dump truck. And the kid is sitting there with a shit-eating grin on his face because he's never ridden such a big bike. And I just looked at him and I just said, you know, pointed down. And he's like, yeah. So he takes off on my bike and I'm sitting in the pickup truck going down the mountain. I'm thinking, Tracy, you just sent some stranger in Honduras down the mountain with like $20,000 of stuff. He's got my laptop. He's got my phone. He's got my bike. He's got the only thing I have on me is my money and my passport. But sure enough, he was waiting at the bottom of the mountain for me. It was a, a crazy thing for me to do, but it, it was about the only thing I could do. Um, and, and super happy he was there with my bike at the bottom. So the trip is really teaching you about uh, humanity, actually, right? It is. It is. I, uh, in Mexico, when I started in Mexico, so many well-meaning friends would, you know, say, oh, be careful of this, be careful of that. And I don't think people understand how that sits in the back of your head. It, uh, it's always there and you'll find yourself somewhere and that little thought will come forward and it just takes over everything. 
And a lot of times in Mexico, I was so scared of things because of these well-meaning warnings that I wish I would have spent more time in, in Mexico because since then I've learned to pretty much ignore all the warnings. Um, go with your guts if you feel good. And I've, I've been much happier since I've ignored the majority of the warnings. There's some I still take quite seriously, uh-huh. but uh, people are 99% good. They're kind, they're willing to help. Um, yeah, and I've had no problems mm-hmm. since I, I chose to do that. Tracy, can you tell me something about your, your bike? Uh, it's a BMW, I, I think. I figured from the picture, right? Yeah, it's a BMW 700, F700 GS. I love it. It um, Everybody farkles their bike a bit, so I had to do a few things to get it roadworthy. Um, but but I love it. For me, in Central and South America, I, uh, I think that that bike is actually too big. I think a 250 would be perfect coming down here. Would I be able to put all my stuff on it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But uh, this bike has gotten me through some really crazy, crazy places like babyhead boulders to red mud to water crossings to volcano sand, everything. Um, I'm really, really happy with it. Uh, before I left, a lot of people talked to me about changing out to a bigger bike like the 1200 at the time. But I'm used to my bike. It's paid off. Uh, I didn't want to incur any debt. I was leaving debt free from Canada. And I've had no problems. I think I had to have the steering bearings changed out in Panama. That's the only problem I've had with it. Nothing, nothing. I, I had a cactus thorn in the tire, which I plugged myself. But as far as a bike running, no issues, no issues. So tell me something about gear and equipment on the road. What is important to you? Oh, wow. So I have to say that um, at GAT, like I've got the Climb Women's Artemis suit. And it's heavy and it's hot, especially when you're, I was in the desert the other day and it was 40 degrees and I'm sweating. But if you drop your bike, which I've done uh, more than a few times, uh, it, it really saves you. Um, so definitely full suit, um, helmet, gloves, of course, just full gear for me. I don't know, I've got my, my Forma boots, my climb gear, I've got a showy helmet. So for me, wearing gear all the time, all the time. I know a lot of people prefer uh, they can, you know, just go with some T-shirts because you're only going a short distance away. But it's not necessarily you riding. It's what somebody else might do. Uh, or you're riding on along a perfectly good road and all of a sudden you hit that red mud and down you go. And my, my gear has saved me more than once on this trip for sure. Hey, Tracy, it's been a couple of weeks since we last talked. I hope you're doing okay. And before you tell me where you're at and what you've been experiencing, let me wish you a good morning. Good morning. It's been amazing the past couple of weeks. been busy, but I've rented an Airbnb for one month of just relaxing. You know, it's just, you can't ride the bike every day. I'm in Medellin in Colombia. Um... Yeah, a lot has happened the last few weeks. I, I started off in the bike to go one place and the bike kind of broke down on me. So I limped it back to Manizales, a town not too far from Medellin, put it in a mechanic shop for four days 
and he didn't fix it, but we thought he did. So off I took and it broke down again. So it spent a couple of days in Medellin in the BMW shop here and they fixed it. And then it was a ride with the Motorrad Angels to put in uh, water filters and all these remote villages. So that was some crazy riding. Uh, all these riders are so experienced. And then there's me. I'm just trying to keep up, but <laughs> nobody dropped their bike. It was good. It was good. And very rewarding too. watching how the Motorrad Angels do these filters and they do so much more, but just seeing these, these kids with clean drinking water was amazing. Yeah. Where are they located originally, these Motorrad Angels? So the Motorrad Angels, the two people that started it are actually from the States. One of them, Tom lives in Medellin in Colombia here now. And the other fellow, Dennis, he just comes back and forth whenever they're going to do a big run uh, to put in these water filters. And then the rest of them just all live in the area. They they all live around here. They do runs on their own and they take medical supplies. They do dentist clinics. They do all kinds of really, really neat stuff for these people. And that's all through Central America, Mexico, um, and all through South America, they go wherever they're needed, they go. And you just ran into them by coincidence? So we had some mutual friends on social media. And when I, I was actually in Medellin one year ago, uh, when I first got to Columbia, um, and I met one fellow, Eric Hall, who introduced me to Tom. And so we met in person and I said, I would love to do a run with you one of these days. And then of course COVID hit and another year goes by, but I just happened to be back in Medellin when they were getting ready to do a run and was invited. And I was like, I'm there. I'm totally there. So it was it was a great, great few days. Uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> so it was good. But Tracy, tell me why motorcycle? I mean, it could have been polo or golf or I don't know, you know, driving a, a fancy car. Why motorcycle? So when I went to my first uh, motorcycle rally, it was it was in uh, the States as well. And that's where I really learned what we could do on motorcycles. And that's when I got to meet the moto community as, as we know it now, how amazing they were, the amazing women riders out there, um, how much knowledge they have, the stories they shared. They made me believe that I could do anything. And I'd met some people that had some women that had ridden through Central and South America with their spouses or solo. And I was like, that that's really cool. So that that kind of stuck in my head. Um, and with a motorcycle, there's that community, number one. Number two, it's feasible to, I love traveling. So it's feasible to travel around the world by a motorcycle instead of flying or having a big motor home. It's just feasible for me. And Being a solo female rider, I found all through Central and South America, the locals want to take care of me. Uh, number one, they they are amazed that I'm riding alone in their country, especially some of the countries that have such a poor reputation. They are so proud of their country. So when they find out I'm riding through their solo, despite the reputation, they are just gobsmacked. They, they are so happy. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it. When you're on tour, the way you describe it, it seems like you have to really be able to get along with yourself, being by yourself, you know. Is that something new that you had to develop? For me, it's a bit weird. I love socializing. I absolutely love going out, meeting with people and partying and dancing and everything else. But the other 50% of me really likes my alone time. 
I really like to get away from people, just spend some time alone. So for me, it's a 50, 50 mix. Um, being alone, I have no problem. It didn't take any getting used to. I think part of it was the fear of being alone when I first started out, not because I couldn't get along with myself, but because of all the outlying possibilities, you know, like the stories you hear of, Oh, be careful. You're female traveling alone, especially in Mexico. You hear about all the drug cartels and the guns and the, you know, the into South America or central, you're worried about FARC and gorillas and all these, these cartels and all the stories you hear. But for me, it was, it was a pretty easy transition to riding all day by myself. If I wanted to talk to people, I'll strike up conversations, but usually the people approach me, want to talk a little, want to buy me a coffee. I've had strangers just the other, the other day, uh, a stranger bought me a coffee because uh, we started talking outside this, this cafe. It's amazing. I don't know. <laughs> you talked about some very bad experiences, some, some scary moments. Um, I'm wondering what kept you going? Why didn't you just say, I've had enough. This is it. I want to go home now. I have lots of those moments, <laughs> lots of those. Uh, you suddenly get a little homesick or just things just aren't going right. Or it's just so difficult to try to figure out where I'm going. And this might happen when I go from trying to get from Colombia to Ecuador. It's just like it's so much work just to, to get somewhere that I think, oh, my God, I just want to go back home. But I don't have a home per se. I sold everything. And I don't know, I guess there's enough determination in me to keep going. It's just something always works out. I don't know how, but the more stressed I get, the worse off it is. If I just calm down and let things work out, just take one step at a time, something always works out. But I do have lots of those moments where What am I doing? I should just be going home and relaxing, maybe getting a part-time job during my retirement. And then that's way worse than whatever bad stuff is happening down here. That idea is way worse. Um, going back to work and living in the snow again and being inside all the time. I'm very much an outdoor person too. So even if just being able to be outside all the time here has been fantastic. Tracy, what is your advice to those who would like to follow in your footsteps and who would like to saddle their iron horse and take a trip around the globe? Don't think too much about it. Don't think too much about it. Just do it. Because the more you think of stuff, the more you're going to think yourself right out of doing it. So my, my advice is don't think too much about it. If this is what you want to do, do it. Things will work out along the way. Tracy, Tracy. Tracy Charles from Canada, currently in Colombia on her tour around the world. Good luck and stay safe, Tracy, and thank you for being my guest on Gravel Talk. Now, if you all want to connect and catch up with Tracy via social media, just check our website, graveltalk.com, and you will find all the links you need. So be sure to check our website, graveltalk.com, graveltalk.com. Till we meet again, our next Gravel Talk podcast will be available soon. Ciao, ciao. Tracy, Tracy.